There. I hope everyone can hear me. Okay. Well, it's 2024, and as Mark Townsend noted when he received PowerPoint yesterday, oh, it's time for lectures. So uh, I'm up this time. I always like to get my lecture done earlier in the year. Of course, midway of December, I was thinking, this was kind of not smart. <laughs> uh, with all that was going on, and certainly um, a lot of things that uh, detract from the attention that you need to give to certain things like this uh, became a little bit difficult. But this year, we are um, going to talk about the roles of God. May seem like a strange topic, or at least not, you know, thematically, we always had really tightly coupled themes through for the lectures through the year. This is more, it's not topical, but it is individualized, if you will, based on the roles uh, that are there. Uh, as we were talking about this, of course, it was, well, what verse covers or captures the whole thing? And uh, we tried a couple verses on, and we finally settled on this. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is the whole purpose of these lectures and really the whole purpose of being here besides worship is to get to understand and know God better. And that's what we're going to try to do this year with, with this lecture series is, is try to know God a little bit better. The, the lectures this year, and I've got the first lecture so I'm going to, a little bit of an introductory to it, but these are the roles that we are covered. There are more roles in the Bible than we've got here. But as you see, there's quite a bit. The Creator, uh, the next one is going to be in March. Of course, we're, we're leaving out the months that have our gospel meetings, February and October. Uh, and uh, March, Sustainer, Provider, Preserver, Helper, Alan Holcomb. Redeemer, Savior, Architect of the Plan of Salvation, Lyndon Manning. Father, Husband, Bridegroom, Roy Gray. The Son, Chris Davis, the King, Ben Sledge, Lawgiver, Dan Carlisle, Judge or Avenger, uh, Bryant Allen, Mediator, Jacob Johnson, and Healer, Jared Gertler. Well, our purpose is to know God better, so how can we know God? You know, there is, uh, obviously, the Bible tells us this, right? The first thing that we get, we learn there is that we, know, we can know God, or at least know the existence of God, from the physical universe. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Well, the thing there is, yeah, we can see there's a God. We look around us and we look at the world we live in. You know, the, very, the, the, the idea, the thought here is that you're sitting here in this pew tonight. You exist. That points to the existence of God. The idea that I can sit here and I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about what I'm thinking. And I can think about and I can observe what's going on around me. I can take stimulus from 
the things that are going on around me and I react to them. And that's existence. That's, I wouldn't have that. I wouldn't be able to be here tonight if it wasn't for God. But that doesn't tell me, you know, the fact that I exist doesn't tell me much beyond the fact that somebody created me. It doesn't tell me how I should react to him. It doesn't let me know that, oh, I've misstepped and I'm in trouble. But it does tell me something, that there's a God out there and he made everything. Well, there's a better way to know. It's by what he reveals to us. You know, the secret things that belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are, uh, you know what? I'm going to put my glasses on because I can't read that back here like I thought I could. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, this recently, of course, we were told in the New Testament as well that the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, what we read in the Bible is inspired. It is given to us, it comes to us through men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us the words that we are reading today. You know, Bob has preached recently, uh, within the last quarter of last year. God has chosen to communicate His will to us in words and phrases and sentences and paragraphs, and so we ought to be interested in that. We ought to be interested in words and phrases and clauses and sentences. If Jesus reveals his words and figures of speech, we ought to be interested in learning about this. We can look there at God speak to us. Language, communication. He communicates to us ideas, concepts, with words and phrases. You think about the things that he employs that Jesus used in employs in, in teaching, getting across his ideas, parables. That's a literary structure. But beyond parables, he uses, utilizes a number of things, commands, certainly a, uh, a thought there, we could add into that, into that uh, pantheon of things that he, he uses to communicate to us with through. But I want to add tonight something else. I want to add that God uses social and cultural structures. And he communicates something about himself in a way that we relate to through those structures. What I'm talking about, of course, are roles. A role is a character, is a character assigned or assumed, a socially expected behavior pattern usually determined by an adult's society, status in society, or a function or a part performed, especially in a particular operational process. Now, the interesting thing about this is that from the beginning, God created social structures for mankind, okay? Very first one, 
if we read about it in, in, the, in, in Genesis. Marriage. Men and women were joined together as husband and wife. And that led to respective roles later on as fathers and mothers. The idea or concept of Redeemer. We can read about that extensively and get a really good example of that in the book of Ruth. Governmental structures. Rulers, kings, governors, dignitaries, Romans. You know, we read about that in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. 1 Peter 2 and chapter 2 and verses 13 through 15. The thing here is that God created these things and in His words explained to us how to be a, a husband better, how to be a father better, a mother better. And then He turns around and uses it when he's communicating something to us. He ascribes those roles to himself as he's trying to communicate us something to us that we understand him better. Uh, I'll pull from another one of our preachers uh, recently. And uh, Dustin talked about the roles of man and wife. God's design of families and within the family and his wisdom has determined roles that serve the whole of the family. Each of those roles is temporary. However, these are temporary roles that are used for the purpose of guiding us to the cross. Guiding us to Jesus. Guiding us toward God. God has created all these roles and all these things in this world in our service to God. That's what this whole lecture series this year is going to be about. Understanding, exploring the roles that God has said, this is me. You can relate to me through what I'm telling you when I describe myself this way. When I say, I'm God, I'm a judge, I can think back to circuit judge. He said, what's he do? He represents the law. And he's going to apply that law to offenders. Now, he's going to take into account certain things, uh, possibly, and there may be some mercy granted and extended in that process. We can look at how, what we understand about judges, and when God says, I'm a judge, or I'm a king, okay, we can know something about God by relating that to what we know about these things that we see every day. Now, I got creator. Now, this is an outlier, okay? Because I can't find in the world that I live in the same exact meaning that that role is. You know, the, the closest human analog to the biblical creator it's what we would call an inventor, an entrepreneur, an artist maybe, a scientist, anyone that comes up with an original idea, a concept, a device, a manuscript, painting, etc. These roles are the closest in that they evoke some seminal ideas or processes, yet they are not the same as God's creator. Sir Isaac Newton said that if I have seen further is because I stood on the, uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. 
The idea is he benefited by what others had done before him. Now, you know, when Alan was speaking about taking time to reflect on, it's always a good time to take time to reflect on God and what was done for us. Unfortunately, I have to confess right at this point, I was looking, thinking, running through my mind <laughs> what I was going to be saying tonight, and I realized I made a mistake. Eli Whitney didn't invent <laughs> the steam engine. It was James Watts. <laughs> at least he's one credit for that. Eli Whitney was the cotton gin. But nonetheless, the idea is the same. If it wasn't for the previous work that others had done uh, in material sciences, you know, couldn't have built a steam engine out of wood, not easily anyway, invention of iron and, and so forth, mechanics, physics, all these things led to his, James Watt's ability to create something. Now, God is an inventor, a maker, a creator, but he's unique among all things when we talk about creation. When we talk about, we can't find an exact role within our social structure that matches completely what God has did. He is, in, he is unique in the sense he has no prior predecessor in handing off materials or knowledge or some other thing that he can take and in turn improve on and create something new from that. His creation sprang from his own power and might. And we have the term, Latin phrase, ex nihilo. Out of nothing, everything. Out of nothing, everything. Of course, we can look at John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, Word was a God, Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made. God made everything. I, uh, as I was uh, going through this and come across the phrase, of course, you know, first thing you do is, what's the a good definition of ex nihilo? Of course, you put it in Google and you come back with an answer. In this case, several answers. One of the best ones I found, and I, I've got it inserted in my text here, and so I'm not going to plagiarize anybody. This is R.C. Sproul's, which is a Presbyterian theologian. He has a very good, I thought, fairly good technical uh, definition of this, this term. When we assert creation, ex nihilo, the obvious question is, how could God possibly do such a thing? It almost sounds like magic, where God is the magician who pulls a rabbit out of a hat. But in the act of creation, there were no trick mirrors no rabbits, no hats, and not even a magic wand. Every effect must have a cause. There are different kinds of causes. Aristotle, for example, differentiated between several kinds, using the example of a sculpture. It's material cause, okay? The marble out of which the sculpture, the sculpture is made, okay? Material cause is a block of stone. Is instrumental cause, that is the tools, the chisel and the hammer. That's the means by which that effect that's desired is brought to pass. The formal cause, that's the idea. That's Michelangelo, 
thinking about the statue of David or the painting on the Sistine Chapel. He had some idea before he started out with what he's, going, what he's aiming for. So the formal cause, the idea to which the effect must correspond. Is it a sketch used as the image is shaped? Of course, the final cause, that's purpose for which it is made, is to beautify a building, fulfill a commission, <coughs> or some other reason. Aristotle also distinguished between efficient and sufficient causes. The efficient cause is the sculptor, the one who actually did it. And the sufficient cause is the power needed to bring that effect into being. And so we take those five things there and think about God here, all right? Creation had neither a material or instrumental cause. There was a formal cause, a final cause, an efficient cause, and a sufficient cause. The formal cause was God's idea and plan to create the world, not out of necessity or of his own need, but according to his own purpose. The final cause was God's purpose, his plan, that he ex executed initially by the actual work of creation. The final cause was God's ultimate glory and our well-being, which also rebounds to his glory. God was both the efficient cause and the sufficient cause because he alone had the power to bring something out of nothing. By what means did God accomplish the feat of creation, ex nihilo? By his speech. Augustine called this the divine imperative or fiat. God spoke the words, let it there be, meaning there must be, and things appeared. This is an imperial can, command that cannot be countermanded. Since I said that, I found several things out there. And I, I picked two of the ones that I felt conveyed some useful piece of information that will be uh, in addition to the lecture tonight. This is from an organization called GotQuestions.org. When God created the heavens and earth, he did so by speaking into existence. When he created things that filled the earth and the sky, he spoke them into being. But when he created the human beings, he did something different. He took some dust of the ground that he had already made and he formed a man. Then he breathed his own life into him, into that man, and the man became a living soul. When he created the first woman, Eve, he also used that which he had already made. He caused Adam to fall to deep sleep and took a rib from his side and formed a woman. God is the designer and the craftsman of everything in the universe. And he created human beings a step above all the rest. By breathing his own life into that man, he created the man and woman in his own image. That means that human beings are more like God than any other created thing. We have an eternal spirit, just as God has. We can reason, we can choose good or evil, and we can love. We have emotions, 
intellect, and the power and desire to create things ourselves. God desires to have a fellowship with us. He does not seek fellowship with dogs, dolphins, or trees, only humans. And when he came to earth to save us, he came in the form of a man. Okay, first thing you might be saying, well, wait. <laughs> I look at the news every night, and all I see the man do is bad. I look at what I'm seeing out there, and there is parental abuse, spousal abuse, there's wars, there's famine, there's natural disasters. How am I seeing God in that? How am I, see, you know, this is, man was created with God, this image. Well, how do I see God's image in all this? Well, the point is, we live in a debased world, okay? But the thing is, we were given the power to choose good and evil. We can choose to do good, or we can choose to do evil. We're often led astray by our desires. We war with our senses of good and right and with the things we desire. We compare it. We, the goodness and kindness is often subsumed to our desire for something that gratifies ourselves. But we're not totally depraved. I want you to understand that right now. When God created us His image, there is this spark in there. There's, there is this desire to look for God. There is this desire, I think, in each and every one of us innate to have kindness and goodness within our heart. A longing for a moral compass. I think God created that in, with this, in us too. You know, when I and I mentioned the internet and the things that we read, see on the internet, how badly those things are that we read. But internet's, internet's a double-edged sword, right? We see all this stuff, but we can do something good. Except do something tonight. When you get home, Google this. Random acts of kindness. Now you'll find a whole list of things that people just do person coming out of the, the bagel shop with the bagel he's got, he's ready to eat that, and he sees somebody standing over to the side that hasn't got anything. He shares his bagel with him. Okay, it's a small thing. Parents taking after their children. Well, you're saying, okay, that's a maternal thing. God built that into us. Well, he did build it into us, didn't he? But isn't that a great thing? It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Parents taking care of their children, trying to do something for them to make it better for them. People that, when there are natural disasters, and we've read about that within our lifetimes, several natural disasters have happened within this country, outside of the country. And people have left jobs, left home, paid for their own way to go there so they can help out, so they can provide aid. That's goodness. I think that's part of God in us, all right? Just as evil is a tendency to, to impart to us by the devil. God is trying, he's calling out to us to, to be kind, to be loving, to show loving kindness like he did for us.
37 years ago, plane took off from airport in Washington, D.C. Pilot didn't look at the icing indicators on his wings and he didn't clear the bridge. It fell into the Potomac River. There were something like on the order of 70 people, I don't know exactly the number, on that plane, only six survived. Of those six, one man, Arlen Williams, was the most alert. And when two people, against their better judgment, knowing what kind of weather they were in, flew a helicopter out to get those five, six people, one of them even actually standing out on the, the skid that hangs out un unattached to anything so he could reach out to folks. And the one in the plane that was most alert, he took the rope, the harness, and he hooked it to one person, and that person was pulled up. And he did that five times. The eye shifted, and when it came back for him, he was no longer there. One man on the bridge, he ties a rope around himself and jumps off into the water and rescues one person. Another man, coming along, pulls off his cowboy hat and his boots. He jumps in the water too to pull them. These are sacrificial examples. Now, I'm not calling this heroism. We call those things acts of heroism. I call it acts of sacrificial love. That's what God has for us. Now, I don't want to, to imply here that, that we do good things and that saves us, okay? It's the love of God that's our, that we're, all these things flow from. Jesus said, when you give a cup of water, just a cup of water, in my name, you will not lose your reward. Everything has to flow back to God as we think about that. Well, God is our creator. You know, there's some, what can we learn from that, okay? Instead of just talking about it, what can we learn from it? I mean, that's the whole point we're trying to do. We're trying to learn something about God, right? What are the implications of that fact? If God can speak to the universe into existence by the power of speech alone, you know, that's a power beyond our ability to comprehend. It's awesome. It's terrifying. It's a terrifying thought. Comprehending that power will help us remember our place with respect to God. We were created, remember what this, we were created for His glory, not for our glory, for His glory. He created a universe and a world conducive to our well-being. Is that power that sustains our world, and as R.C. Sproul's noted, all this rebounds to the glory of God. We must always, it's the first thing we know here, we must always glorify the Creator and not the creature. And that's been a hang-up for people through the ages. Romans, we read Romans 1, what happened there? They substituted, they glorified the creature above the creator, and they lost themselves. Go ahead. Nevertheless, let's, let's do this. Consider the creature, creature for a second. Okay? Consider your abilities. Do it, take your hand. Do this number here. Now, I can't do this very well because I've got a little bit of arthritis in my hand, but you can touch your, your thumbs to your fingers. So, consider what has been done because we, are, we have hands. Look at all the things that are built. 
all the things here created, all the great artwork, all the buildings, all the machinery, everything that we've created was built by, because we have the ability to grasp. Where do we get that from? We got it from God, our creator. He gave it to us for his glory. Even one of my favorite quotes, consider the human brain. We were considered, created with the ability to grasp the infinite. Now, Abraham Lincoln made that quote. The ability to grasp the infinite. We can, it, we can, you know, I talked about how it's hard to comprehend. But God's power, and I still think it is, I'm not retracting from that, but we can, in our thought process, can think of so much outside of ourselves. We can look at the universe around us and come up with ideas and understandings of what God has created for us. Well, we can find out. It's ours. God said that. What he reveals to us, or what he keeps secrets, that's his. But nonetheless, he created us with a lot of capacity and potential and ability. But it's fearfully and as wonderfully made as we are, in the final analysis, we're still only the creature and not the creator. Okay. That was our first point. God is greater than the creation, and is the creature. creature. And he says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways, your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God knows the beginning, the end from the beginning. Something we can't do. We live, make decisions in our lives based on imperfect knowledge. And sometimes we make terrible mistakes. But God's not that way. He knows what's good for us. And even if we think about it, even as we consider the law that he made for us, the precepts, the commands, all those things are good for us. We may not understand that. You know, all the thy shalt nots. <laughs> Until you get in trouble and then you realize, well, maybe I should have not done that. God did these things for us. His thoughts were, he was already there before we were. He already knew what we needed. Job made a point, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than, pure than his maker? And the answer is no, you can't be. God is always greater and we're always lesser. Let's keep our perspective on that. Sometimes we start thinking about in terms of the creation, what we are in this world, and we get status and power and money and ability to do things in this world all wrapped up and balled up within ourselves and we think how great we are. And yes, we can tell the creator where he went wrong with some things, right? Wrong. God, the creator, is always greater than we are. We need to keep that fact in our mind. Well, God is creator. What else can we, should we learn? We should respect and fear him. 
you know, God is creator. He created the universe, and he's powerful beyond comprehension. What person in his right, let's take, what person in his right mind would walk into a cage with a lion, okay, without any protection? Or what person in his right mind would jump off Niagara Falls in a, nothing but a pair of swim trunks? You have to respect what the lion is. You have to respect what Niagara Falls is. You have to respect what God is. But you say, fear, God is love. Perfect love casts out fear. That's true. God is love. But he's also righteous. And he's pure. And he's holy. And he's sinless. What's the implications of that? To be unrighteous and impure and sinful before God is the fearful thing. This is a... Somebody that, you know, if you've read any of C.S. Lewis's stuff, Mere Christianity, I always found this to be very interesting. We know that if there is absolute goodness, it must hate all that we do, human greed, trickery, exploitation. Then all of our efforts in the long run are hopeless. But if it is, then we are making ourselves enemies to that goodness every day. And we are not in the least likely to do better tomorrow And so our case is hopeless again. We cannot do without it, and we cannot do with it. God is our only comfort, but he's also our supreme terror. The thing that we need most and the thing we want most to hide from, he is our only possible ally, and we have made ourselves his enemies. Some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They're only still playing with religion. Goodness is either the great, greatest safety or the great danger, according to the way you react to it. And we've reacted badly to it. I think that, if I look this example of that in the Bible, I would look to Isaiah and his reaction to seeing God on his throne. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. (coughs) And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole of earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me. For I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. If God is our creator, we have to both respect him for his creation and we have to fear him for his goodness and his purity and his holiness because we are not that. What else does this mean, this mean for us? God is our creator. Then he's worthy of our worship. 
in praise and honor. <clears throat> I have several verses here I could appeal to. Uh, you are worthy, Lord, to receive the glory, honor, and power, for you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation 4.11 O come, let us make worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Psalms 95.6 You know, God is the creator of the universe. And all therein. Think about that. <laughs> we live in a small, small part of the universe on a big planet. This is a small planet. Circling the sun. Nine planets. Huge. We couldn't get from here to Mars in the space of a week or a month. It takes years. And our one little solar system is part of a bigger constellation, part of the Milky Way, a galaxy. How many galaxies are there? I don't know. When I was in uh, junior college many years ago, my physics books, you know, I'm there on the flyer, the inside of the cover, you know, there was a, a set of tables and giving various statistics, you know. How many atoms in the universe? 10 to the 23rd power. I don't know what that means. I think that there's probably that many galaxies out there now <laughs> that they've discovered. How many atoms in the universe? You can't tell me, and I don't think anybody can. It's immense. To think that God created all this. But he knows he's numbered every hair on our head. And he knows when the sparrow falls out of its nest. We have this immense power and this intimate knowledge all combined into one being. All this immense power coupled with qualities such as righteousness, purity, and holiness, and goodness. A being of unbearable light. He created us and we sinned. But he made a way for us to be righteous, to be saved, while still maintaining his righteousness and his goodness and his holiness. Yeah, he's worthy. He sent his son to die for us. He's worthy. What does it imply for us? Because he is our creator and we exist and are sustained in him, he is worthy of our thanks and our gratitude. You know, I picked on Bob and Dustin a little bit. Pick on Kevin. Kevin made these comments in the Lord's Supper comments just recently. And this was a, a section out of a bigger piece, but it says, the adult says to me, do you realize that God had no mandate to create you? that you did not have to exist, that God was not obligated to bring you into existence. Your very existence is a gift from God. Every hug, every kiss, every sensational sunrise, every awe-inspiring sunset, 
Every wonderful moment, every hearty laugh comes from the hand of God. I could add several things to that. Getting up when I was a child on Thanksgiving Day and moment in the kitchen and there was wonderful smells coming out of that kitchen. There was pumpkin pie spices, okay? She was making dressing. That's, that's a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderful sensation. Getting married to the most beautiful woman in the world. Bringing home my firstborn. Later on the Christmas tree, I was just born on December the 8th. He can take a picture of <laughs> The tree, raining needles because it's a dry pine. <laughs> you know. How can you, how can you not miss that? How can I do think of that? Of course, about three years later, she cried all the way home when we left her brother and mom in the hospital <laughs> when he was born. I had to deal with that too. <laughs> but even, you know, even the trials of life, I can thank God for that too because it made me stronger. It made me stronger. For the other implications of that, and I've almost run out of time. So, uh, DeWitt, I can't see the time back there either tonight. You'll put me in there with Bob. Ownership. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands, as though he needs anything. See, so he gives all life to all life, breath, and all things. It is made from one blood every nation of men who dwell on the face of the earth. It is determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of the dwelling so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one. For in him we live and move, and we have our being, as some of our poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Know you not that the Lord is God. He has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. God, when talking through David, you know, it was saying, I don't have need, the prophets, I don't have need of anything. I own the, the sheep, that cattle on a thousand hills. This is his. All the, all, the, all the creation, all the universe, everything is his. And we are the stewards of that creation. We're to tend and keep. We're accountable. You know, God, Ezekiel, when he was talking to the Jews about what they had done, he said, my gold and my silver, which I have given you, and, and you have taken that and made for yourself images to worship. You took what I, that was mine, and perverted it. It's a powerful statement. And as our creator, he will hold us accountable for how we treat our fellow man. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. 
and he who mocks the poor reproaches his maker, and he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. What is pure religion? What's the definition in James? To visit the widows and the orphans in their need. That's our obligation. That's a part of our stewardship. Ownership implies sovereignty. But now, Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art our potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter says, the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in mine, O house of Israel. God the Creator is likened to us unto the potter, a visual image that says, God, like the potter, has the power to make us into what's useful and for his purposes. That does not degrade our free will. And that if we choose to be shaped and, and are not to be shaped and are hardened in that, and something that's unusual, unusable, then we also have the example in Jeremiah God's going to break it. You throw that flask out into the field among all the other shards, it's not useful to me. God is my owner, God is my sovereign. And if I'm not, useful to him, if I can't be molded to his work, to his will, if I can't be use, made useful to him, then where do I stand? God has every right. He owns me. Ownership applies to other things. Ownership of relationship to God, the Creator, our relationship, and to each other demands accountability and judgment. We're told in Ecclesiastes to rejoice in the days of our youth, walk in the ways of your heart, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. And as it's appointed for man wants to die, but after this is judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. And knowing that our Creator will call us into judgment, we must all be prepared to meet our God as the preacher in Ecclesiastes said, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. I'm going to go back to C.S. Lewis for a second. In the long term, being a Christian is a thing of unspeakable current, comfort. But it does not begin in comfort. It begins in dismay. But if you look for truth... You may find the truth in the end. C.S. Lewis paraphrased. I took some of his stuff and kind of left out a few things, but that was the idea. When we look at our Creator and then we look at ourselves, we compare our goodness to His and we are dismayed. But God our Creator has one last act of creation for our benefit. He has created us. He can create in us a new man, a new person with a new heart, a new man that's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. God is creator. And he can do this for us. Abraham Lincoln said, what I said the other day, earlier, I can't believe that man was created with the power 
to comprehend the infinite and be only here for a few days. No, he was made for immortality. We were made for immortality. But we can't get there if we have separated ourselves from our creator. We have to be prepared to make, to meet our creator, to meet our maker. And that means we can only meet our maker if we seek him in faith. If we believe in him, we believe in the son he sent down on the cross for us. If we confess that, if we repent of our sins, if we're baptized to wash away our sins, then we can have that hope of immortality and to be with our creator in heaven. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to comprehend, to meditate upon, to think about. As we're gathered here tonight, this is the time for the invitation as we stand up to sing. I encourage anyone who has not made that commitment to come forward, make that commitment. Be prepared to meet your maker. And if you kind of wandered off the track, then there's time for that to be straightened out too. Come as we, as we sing.